2: Happy Friday. I am Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippey Writes Podcast. Got a great show today. We've got Greg's usual Friday picks and another edition of Fresh Cut, sponsored by Scott Box Sports. And then before we get to that, we're going to talk to Nick Suss, Clarion Ledger, Ole Miss beat writer. Just really kind of a rewind of what he saw from Ole Miss in Atlanta on Monday night, spinning some things forward into the Austin P game and beyond. Hadn't talked some football with my guy Nick Suss in a while it uh, seemed like the perfect spot to have him on uh, probably wasn't going to contact the uh, Austin P beat writer if those guys exist respect to them if they do and break down the uh, the governor's uh, offensive and defensive schemes so a lot of old miss football talk today followed by Greg and I making our picks and then of course on sunday Weldon and I will record a day after podcast. We'll probably take questions on the message board, social media, wherever. Send them in if you have them. So be on the lookout for that. And then we'll be back to a normal three-pod-per-week schedule next week because this one was a little weird, obviously, with the Monday night kickoff and all of that. So be on the lookout for that. Before we get to Nick Suss, wanted to remind you, Podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the handicapping industry. Go check these guys out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Football season's ramping up. I know some of you probably tried to go out on your own last week, lost some money. The man's texting you uh, on Monday. Probably not a great feeling. You should be texting the man. Skybox can help you do that more frequently than anyone else these guys are professionals these things casinos books were not built on losses and you need a professional to help guide you consistently to profit they're going to have a picks package to fit your price rates their first week's nfl card is already up you could buy a season-long nfl season-long college you do month-long week-long i'd recommend just going with the year all sports pass it's going to pay itself back and then some they're crushing on NASCAR, just go check out their site. I promise you they're going to have a picks package that will fit whatever your needs are, sports-specific, all sports, and fit your price range. And while you're at it, use the promo code RIPPY, and you'll get 20% off. They've also got articles on the site that will help make you a smarter, better. So check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Those guys are awesome. They're crushing it already, and they will lead you to profit. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Greg needs no introduction on today's podcast. You know the deal with LBs. Sign up for Rippy Rights. That's rippywrites.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me three to five times a week and discounted meats. If you're a subscriber, you get a 16-ounce prime strip for 15 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's a hell of a way to kick off your football Saturday or football Sunday. So go check them out LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Greg gives you a lowdown on the store a little bit later in the show. Let's get to Nick Suss. I have one last note to make. If you're noticing uh, any sort of like audio imbalance, I don't think the audio quality is terrible, but some of the uh, volume may be a little inconsistent. Still working on my, uh, I'd call it home studio setup in my new apartment that I moved into last week. Still getting some furniture in there. So just bear with me for a couple more days and I'll have all that squared away. You may not even notice, but if you did, just wanted to let you know that that's probably not, definitely not going to be a permanent thing. But uh, hoping to have that one squared away. Had a little bit of a window issue. They moved in and decided my bedroom didn't need a window that shut. And I'm facing a pretty busy street in downtown Dallas. And uh, when I called about it, they, uh, they, they didn't really seem to know what the urgency was. I, I, they were kind of giving me the what for about it. I guess it's pretty weird to want to have a window in your bedroom that's shut. But anyway, whatever. I'm ranting. Let's get to Nick's us. All right. We now welcome on good friend of mine. Uh, oatmeal raisin cookie enthusiast, old Miss, Clarion Ledger beat writer, Thai enthusiast. I'm just naming shit here. Nick Suss, how are you, my friend? Long time, uh, long time no see.
1: Yeah, buddy, it's been a it's been a long, long summer without you here, and now uh, we're into a fall where stuff's happening again. We we get to watch a sport. Yeah. So, how are things on
2: your end? That's kind of what I was going to ask you about in just a second. We're like, obviously. I left around this time last year. I like got to Oxford. I'd been, uh, you know, not with Super Talk for a couple of months at that point, and you know, I was like getting out of the industry full time. And I was, it was easier not to miss it last year because just like the whole setup of the COVID cancellations and all that shit. It was like this just seems less fun. I'm not saying going to say it's not fun, but it seemed yeah. remarkably less fun. Now we're back to normal. Obviously, Mercedes-Benz Stadium had full capacity, roof open, all that. What was it like just kind of getting back into a normal-ish college r- football routine? Uh, I know Lane was on Zoom and all that. That I don't know if that had to do with COVID, him having COVID or if that's just the policy of all games away from home. What was it like just kind of getting back to normal, doing your job like you're accustomed to?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say there was a big difference between last fall traveling to that Vanderbilt game where I think the attendance was double digits – and then going to mercedes-benz which is so staggeringly different and even if only like thirty thousand people showed up it was still like palpably different to walk in and see people tailgating and see that whole whatever it was home depot or whoever was sponsoring it set up where people were throwing stuff and having fun and tailgating outside that was that was really different but i mean workflow wise college football is never going to go back to people covering it the way we did two three years ago people are going to find ways to incorporate zoom and find ways to incorporate different stuff. And that's not a complaint. It's just being a realist and we don't want to bore the podcast people with inside baseball uh, stuff about media access and whatnot. But yeah, I mean the world is what it is and covering college football is what it is. And now we get to do it.
2: Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. And like I, same thing here. And like, obviously it's not a complaint for me just cause I'm not in that sphere anymore full time, but like, The only reason I have hope for like professional sports going back to like a locker room setting and like having locker room access is because they have like, you know, football writers, basketball writers, baseball writers, associations, and they have like a place at the tape or a place in the CBA and all of that to where like colleges can just kind of say, yeah, this is all you're getting or you're getting nothing and you just kind of have to go with it and again, not a complaint, but it is going to be interesting to see how Different this thing is cover. I mean, you can even see that with the, the site like I loosely work for now with like Rebel Grove and all that. They incorporate a lot more video and did some different things. So I'll be fascinated to see how that does change the coverage to some degree. What is not going to change is us reacting to what happened on the field. And Ole Miss beats Louisville 43-24 Labor Day Night. I know it's a short turnaround this week as we record this. They're like 36 hours away from playing another game against Austin P. But is there, I'll just leave this open ended. Is there any one thing that stood out to you about the game uh, Monday night? It, it went about as I thought it would go. Like, Elvis was good as advertised offensively. I did not think they would pitch a shutout in the first half, but I also didn't think Louisville would kind of run up and down the field, say, like Florida did in the opener last year. I didn't think it was that level of an offense, particularly with the skill position. So, Margin of victory maybe was slightly surprising, but other than that, I was about how I expected. What did you think?
1: Yeah, I'm going to start by throwing numbers at you because you know that's what I always do. Yes, um, if you go long. by yard, if you go by yards allowed in the first half and make that for a full game, just multiply it by two. Ole Miss would be on pace to have the best defense of any college football team since 2011, Alabama. If you do the same for the second half, multiply it for a full game. Ole Miss would have had the third worst defense in college football last year. I mean, it was night and day what they were able to do. And they ran out of gas. I mean, you can say whatever you want that two touchdowns on fourth downs or coin flip plays or any of this stuff, but you have to be a little bit concerned about stamina, which is a very different concern than last year where you were concerned about them lining up and running the right play and making tackles. I mean, this is, very different and it's a it's definitely a year two problem instead of the year one problem of who's gonna play cornerback they have COVID and now you have to move miles battle over here very different issues but yeah what stuck out to me is that first half they looked like they could have one of the best defenses imaginable and then that second half things came back down to earth and what I'm concerned about is Austin P is a tempo team they run like 78 plays a game and if you're on four days rest against a team that's going to try and fit as many plays into a game as Ole Miss's offense does, I mean, let's see how that stamina can work.
2: Yeah, it could get a little bit weird. And you make a good point, because like Ole Miss has graduated, and I think "graduated" is the appropriate term, to having like a different set of problems on defense. And we all knew, right, the depth is not where they wanted it to be at this point, or where they want it to be in the end. But it's certainly a hell of a lot better, particularly in the secondary and on the back end than it was, you know, just say even nine, 10 months ago. And I I agree, like wholeheartedly, you know, if you're going to do the rebuttal to the second half, I guess half some of the rebuttal would be, well, you know, when you're up 23, nothing, you're just not going to play with the same intensity than when the game's in the balance. I don't know how much stock you would put into that. They also lost two linebackers to targeting penalties, which like they're not really cut out to. Do like you know, we talk about the depth and it not being where he wanted. You just all of a sudden lose two linebackers that you thought were going to be heavy contributors, and it's a different deal. But I thought they fared decently well there. You know, Momo Sinogo did what they probably hope his role is for however long he's at Ole Miss again. I can't remember if he has another year or whatnot. I think he's still technically a junior, yeah, but like yeah. he didn't play till the second half, and then you got to buy with some Ashanti Sisprunk, some Austin Keys they're fine there. Obviously, Chance Campbell is a difference maker, but I think like from, from passing the test or seeing what you wanted to see from this Ole Miss defense, it was exactly what you want to see, right? Because you didn't expect them to have the depth yeah. to do that for four quarters, right? Like them doing what they did for a half is, is definitely like a benchmark sign of progress, but I also agree that they certainly did run out of gas in the second half and I guess to kind of spin that forward a little bit, what did you think of the whole three two six thing? I thought that was a very smart deal from both the, you know, matching up with their personnel standpoint and them just kind of trying something different because it couldn't get worse than it was last year.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was out of practice almost every day this fall camp, and they ran the 3 two, six almost exclusively, so I wasn't 100% surprised when I saw it, but I was surprised by how effective the substitution packages were and just what they did. I mean, I remember turning to another media member at one point during a practice, probably a week or two before the season started, and saying, I just don't get why the number two linebackers are always running with the number one secondary and D-line. Why are Mark Robinson and Chance Campbell out there? What what are the number two? I, I don't get this package. They come out and that's what they're running opening day. And maybe those guys are the number one linebackers. Maybe that was a defense specifically designed for Malik Cunningham. And when you play, let's say, two lane if they have less of a mobile quarterback or especially if you get to somebody like Texas A&M that isn't going to have as mobile of a quarterback um, maybe you don't run that 326 maybe you go back to more of a 335 maybe you go to more of a 425 whatever works works but i mean let's not move the yardsticks you're right i spent an entire offseason saying if this team can have the 70th best defense in college football they've got a chance to sneak their way into the back of the New Year's Six. That's what we looked at on Monday. They had probably the 70th best defense out of 130. That's not something you aspire to, but let's not pretend that won't be good enough. I mean, we still look at an offense that I thought had a pretty pedestrian day and put up 43 points and 569 yards without Jerrion Ailey or Henry Parrish or Braylon Sanders doing much of anything. I mean, the offense is going to be great probably i'm comfortable saying that defense can be what it was yeah it's
2: interesting you point that out because that was something i actually wrote about in the in thursday's newsletter and it's like they are there is going to come a time where they're like they can't play that three two six for 12 games like that someone's going to force them out of it particularly someone who's probably a little stronger running the football on the interior than louisville was but like Is interesting because again, I'm not in practice every day and you mentioned you were kind of surprised by that, but from everything I saw, what's the case against Mark Robinson and Chance Campbell being the number one linebackers at this point? I know Mark Robinson was a very limited sample size, but if you go look at the snaps that he had before he was ejected for targeting, he was flying around, not to the same level that Chance Campbell was, but it was pretty close and he was pretty productive and Ole Miss hasn't had a ton of that. And You know they put. I know they put that depth chart out early in the week, and as I talked to Weldon Rodenberg on the Sunday show or whatever, and he was like, "That seemed very clear to me." And I'm just speculating that you know Kiffin just had someone write some shit down with half a thought put into it, maybe just not fully mailing it in, but it clearly wasn't some sort of concrete deal. I just think I, I think that's probably where you you you're probably going the rest of the way, don't you think? Like, what's the case against what's the case against either one of them starting for the rest of the year?
1: Oh, the only case would be if you're playing a team that is going to force you to not have six DBs on the field. I think that what Mark Robinson does is he gives you that range and that athleticism that maybe Lakia Henry and Momo Sinogo don't. But if somebody's going to play up the middle, I'm still not convinced about virtually any of the defensive linemen on this team. And I don't know, maybe we'll see more of a... Quentin Bivens looked okay. I thought he had a nice game. Yeah, he looked better than he has the last couple of years. I'm still not convinced how he'll look against SEC lines. And I don't think Jamon Gordon played. And I think Isaiah Eitan played very briefly some of those. Taiwan Malone, I don't remember if he played. Uh, some of the new cogs that we expected to be big, big pieces just really weren't there. And if you're going to need more of that meat in the middle of a defense, I mean, Otis Reese can do what mark robinson did you can have a nickelback play that hybrid linebacker role that's pretty much what Tylen knight does even though he's half a foot shorter than everybody else on the team he does that job so if you want to have a cornerback do that role and have a meteor linebacker you can make the case that that's why you would go back to henry or sonogo
2: yeah, absolutely. I kind of agree with you on the defensive line as well. I thought Quentin Bivens had a pretty nice game. I think it was probably more productive than what showed up in like your typical, I mean, everyone says showed up in the stat sheet. I think he had like two and a half tackles, but I, I thought he was much more disruptive than maybe like you would see from the casual eye, just watching it one time through. And I, I but I agree with you the same way. Isaiah, I played like I think like 1920 snaps or something. Javon Gordon did not play in the game and it's interesting hearing, I have like the luxury of hearing like Weldon Rodenberg talk about it every Sunday because he did recruit like a lot of this roster and he was never very high on Javon Gordon or at least that's what he, he, he said on Monday. And I'm just curious about how that plays out. I think Kiffin, I actually went back and watched Kiffin's I guess that was y'all talked to him yesterday and he mentioned that Taiwan Malone had had some sort of minor injury and had been working his way back and yeah. they expected to see more of him in the future so like that sounds like that's something that could come along and he's a contributor four games in whereas the Jamon Gordon thing I have no idea I have no idea what that turns out to be if anything but I do know you don't recruit Juco guys to sit and if they, they don't have really the luxury of having half of that juco package they recruited on the defensive line to sit. Like that could eventually cause them some problems. I'm not sold on the defensive line either because Sam Williams really just kind of looked like the same Sam Williams, right? Like he was fine for, like, he was like some plays you're like, Holy shit, there's Sam Williams. And in other plays it's like, is he out there? Like you just kind of forget about him. If Cedric Johnson continued to flash, I guess, if you want to call it that like, if there's one position group I'm least convinced about, it is the defensive line, even though Quentin Bivens mainly is kind of the reason I would have some sort of optimism on it because he looked great. What's Where well, before we go to the offensive side? Pitch me your best and worst case scenario for the defensive line this year.
1: Uh, the worst case scenario is last year happens again and they can't stop the run. I mean, people have been living that worst case scenario for five years. I don't think Ole Miss's defense can hit lower lows than last year when they were given up 500 plus yards per game. Best case scenario, I, I'm intrigued to see how much of what we saw from the defensive line was a product of the 3-2-6. Because... When you have Bivens out there and then Tisdale and Williams or Johnson and Williams, two true edge rushers, you really only have one defensive lineman on the field. And I mean, Jamon Gordon's not a nose guard and he's not an edge rusher. And if they're only playing nose guard and edge rusher, what does that mean for an Eiten or a Gordon or a Katie Hill, some of these guys that are two techs or five techs or other defensive line positions? Will we see more diversity? on the D-line there. If you do see that and you start to see more of a multiple look, I think that best case scenario defensively, you can have a really good secondary with a slightly below average run stopping unit. And unless you're playing a team like Auburn that's going to try and gash you with Tank Bigsby all game, that should kind of survive in the SEC becoming a passing league that can play if you're more secondary based. But I'm still not confident that run stops going to ever be elite elite this year. Uh, agree. I mean, like you mentioned,
2: I mean, hell, if they're slightly below average in that, they they have a chance. I mean, that that's probably one of the biggest cogs to get you in that 60 to 70 range in terms of a defense, right? It's just being average there and being okay. I, I couldn't agree more with that it'll be interesting. I'll be interested to see how many more guys they play this week there too. Obviously you're not going to tell a lot from the opponent, but like, you know, seeing Taiwan Malone out there for the first time or Jamon Gordon out there for the first time and just seeing what it looks like, even if they're kicking the shit out of whatever Austin P is doing up front, I would just like to see them out there. That's one of the things I'm interested in this weekend. Let's run to the offense real quick though, because I think you encapsulated it well a second ago where it's like they put up 43 points and kind of had a pedestrian night. Like they weren't it's weird to say, right? They had 188 yards on the ground. I don't remember how many carries, but I think they were between like four and a half and five yards to carry, which is still quite good. But like, they did struggle in some of the, particularly some of the like, you know, edge run concepts, whatever the hell you want to call it. They they struggle with that. I just wonder, what do you think? What do, do you think? How much of that do you think is some of the offensive line getting used to playing together in the spots that they're in? And how much do you think is a real cause for concern? Because I would also place a little bit of it on the running backs. I mean, Ely didn't have a great night in terms of like uh, kind of staying on balance with contact, which is kind of the antithesis of Snoop Connor. And, and it perish was okay. But like, how, what, did, what did you make of the running game as a whole? Because it was kind of weird that they needed the whole 12 carries for 55 yards for Matt Corral. That was kind of important.
1: Yeah, I think that the thing that really, really stood out to me about the running game was also the thing that stood out to me about the passing game, which was Louisville's whole goal was don't give up big plays. Louisville was pretty much playing keep away. They had people deep, and they were saying they're not going to beat us over the top, and I think that's why Snoop was so effective and why Corral was so effective because they're not trying to hit home runs. They are just trying to get six yards and run another play. But if that's what the game plan is going to be, if teams are going to make Ole Miss nickel and dime their way down the field instead of hit Braylon Sanders for a 78-yard touchdown, I think they'll take it. I mean, Dontario Drummond playing slot receiver or H receiver or whatever you want to call it looked super good over the middle. And Snoop Connor looked really good over the middle. And Jerry Neely, three catches for 51 yards, he didn't run the ball very well, but he looked like the guy we thought he would getting about 80 yards from scrimmage in this game. It's the offense has too many weapons to be concerned about some of those weapons, not being ready week one, but let's be realistic. We've seen what one good game plan can do to this Ole Miss offense before. And if this is a game plan that can be replicated by a defense that let's say maybe could be a little bit more versatile than Louisville's defense was, I don't know. Maybe there will be one or two duds like there were last year. I think that you never want to be the team that's third in total offense and 14th in scoring. You'd rather be the team that can score every time and the yards are non-consequential, but maybe that's what this team is again this year, a team that can put up a ton of yards, runs a ton of plays, moves super fast and scores in that 38 to 45 range, which will win you most games. And if you're hoping they
2: graduate to
1: something beyond that, uh, one of the
2: more positive signs I imagine would be the fact that Corral didn't really try to force the issue. Like, I know that's a cliche, but like, hell, I mean, half the time he didn't really have to. I mean, Drummond was running so wide open, there was not very many tight windows to even be had. But like that one in the third quarter sticks out where they tried to hit Sanders on the double move and Corral's looking right the whole time. And instead of trying to throw it when You know, Sanders didn't really clearly have the separation. He just kind of shifted his feet slightly to the right and threw a way more difficult throw than it looks to, I believe, that was Drummond on the left side. I think they picked up like 12 yards and like probably wouldn't be a play that sticks out naturally. I know it got like tweeted by some film junkies on Twitter or whatever, and it's somewhat more mainstream than you would think. But like that type of decision making and behavior is probably pretty encouraging from the only question mark you had about Corral was decision-making, right? Like Arkansas put his brain in a pretzel last year with the whole drop eight deal and all that. And he really just tried to force it. I'll give him a little bit more of a pass for the LSU game because they were short handed. It was raining. Like he knew they had to score tons, just trying to make shit happen. But like if you're hoping they graduate beyond what you said, like that's probably a pretty good indicator of their ability to do that. And then at the same time, the other thing you mentioned is like if, if you mentioned the Ole Miss will absolutely take it. They nickel down down the field, particularly if they're in a game that they're leading in the second half and the team is still going with the whole let's just not give up big plays thing. I know Ole Miss is a tempo offense and they'll chew up a ton of clock, but they can really just beat you over the head with the depth they have at running back. And I think you saw glimpses of that uh, Monday night as well. I mean, Snoop Connor really got going second, third quarter. They didn't even give control Bullock a carry. And then, you know, Snoop and, excuse me, Ely and Henry Paris didn't even have great nights. And like you still, they ended up, Louisville was clearly worn down in the second half. Ole Miss, because of the depth they have at running back, I think can beat you in a number of different ways, which is, I think, which makes this offense have a chance to be pretty damn
1: good. It's funny because when you were talking about the defense graduating, here's that difference. Here's the difference between where the offense is and where the defense is. You say when the defense is up 26 to nothing, you're naturally going to lose some of that oomph. The offense didn't. The offense, every time they got the ball, looked like it was 0-0. And that's that graduation of they never took a foot off the gas. And if you want to talk about the one thing that's going to probably be a difference this year for Ole Miss when it comes to scoring points instead of eating up yards, I mean, let's talk about Caden Costa making kicks. Yeah, no kidding. which is a thing that Ole Miss hadn't been able to do for three years, uh, they hit kicks. And I still think Kiffin's going to be super aggressive on fourth down, and there's going to be a lot of two-point conversion tries, and a lot of fourth and short tries. They were three for three on fourth downs. Uh, they, com- they converted a fourth down with less than two minutes in a game up by three scores. They're still going to be aggressive. But having this element where you don't have to go for a fourth and six from the 24-yard line, that's going to change things.
2: Let's just go ahead and address it because I I had to call into Chase and Neil's post game show for a little bit and I was honestly just asking it halfway being a smart ass. What was the deal with the first extra point? Did did Costa have to take a shit? What what is? That? I know they like hinted at the short long range catcher thing. Why did they do that?
1: Like why is anyone they want other
2: than Costa kicking the ball?
1: I think they Galaxy branded themselves. I think that's really the only reasonable answer is that they really really overthought some stuff i had somebody on twitter ask me was this Caden costa's job to lose i'm like no it seems like it was kale nation's job to lose and he lost it i mean costa was clearly the better kicker and the dude was awesome nation missed an extra point i mean just use costa and he's a really good kicker it seems that has to be put to bed right like they're not doing that again You would think, because Costa (laughs) kicked them four extra points. I mean, they scored a lot more touchdowns.
2: And, like, look, and, like, I'm far from a kicking expert, and, like, it's kind of funny. Like, I I didn't even write much, like, in the newsletter and shit about, like, the kicking battle, and I'm sure y'all did, like, you did the same thing. What the hell actually goes into a kicking battle other than putting the damn ball through the uprights? Like, I'm not a kicking battery expert, but, like, there is a degree where, like, Costa, the one he made from 47, the way he kicks it and the way the ball travels is not some like knuckler you see with college kickers. Sometimes it doesn't get more than 15 feet off the ground. Like the Andrew Ritter that like, okay, it's effective, but I'm not really sure how he's doing this. Like that actually looked like he knows what he's doing and he's elite kicker. If that makes any sense at all. Like his, his ball flight to use a golf term showed me that that kid is probably going to be nails most of the time.
1: And like, I'm the big dork who ever since I was nine years old has been yelling at people about intangibles, not being real. And everything is numbers and everything's data kicking is the proof that i'm wrong kicking is <laughs> weak. like kickers are really weird and sometimes they're just gonna not be able to make an extra point and that might be what happened and maybe kale nation is also nails but he missed the extra point and then getting costa didn't miss anything and i think at this point if you put nation in The people who do notice, because most people who are in the stadium will not notice who the kicker is unless they miss and have to look up. I mean, I remember in the press box, somebody turned to me and said, wait, was that Kale Nation that missed? Because we just assumed Costa would be the kicker. I was like, yeah. I fired off some
2: smart-ass tweet about like just – I think I said Caden Costa is a class act for paying homage to Luke Logan for doinking it off the upright. And then I had, of course – like four people be like, that wasn't Kale Nation. I'm like, or excuse me, that wasn't Caden Costa. I'm like, why was that not Caden Costa? Could someone explain that to me?
1: Yeah, it was was very, very bizarre. But the moral of the story, for anyone listening who doesn't already instinctively know this, kicking is so out of place in football, it doesn't make sense how this extremely uh, beautiful game can kind of just be reduced to does a guy's foot hit an oblong spheroid the right way but Costa seems to be good at it. And that's a dimension this offense desperately needed.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. Cause I think like you mentioned on top of this, for we just went down this kicker wormhole. It is going to change the way they call plays. it's the, even not even just call plays, really it's, it's going to change the way they manage games and they manage clock and they manage the time probably more so than anything. Last couple of things on offense before we get out of here. One, we'll get to the drumming thing in a second. The last one thing that I wanted to ask was like, so, all of a sudden in the third quarter, and I know you all noticed this, but I didn't see Kiffin, like, get asked or give a clear answer about it. Maybe I just missed it in the mix. Bryce Ramsey, like, Ben Brown didn't seem to have a very good night at right guard, and then all of a sudden, like, Bryce Ramsey played towards the end. There was no Ben Brown injury, right? Like, he just didn't have it. What was the deal with that? Did you notice
1: that? I noticed it. I It was 1 a.m., and I forgot to ask about it, so thank you for reminding right, me. I mean, that's the 19th but, yeah, thing you asked. Yeah. right? I was just curious. yeah. Oh, yeah. I noticed it. And I, because there was a penalty called on him, I think. And I, that was when I noticed. I was like, but where's 55? Why, why is 75 on the field? I, I saw Bryce Ramsey taking a lot of reps when Orlando Amana was. Uh, are we allowed to say he was hurt now?
2: I think you're allowed
1: <laughs> to now. Yes. It seems very clear he might have been injured. Okay. When, when Orlando Amana was, was less than healthy, I saw a lot of Bryce Ramsey reps in practice. And it seemed like. They liked what they saw. And also from Eli Acker, it seemed like they liked what they saw because the depth on the O-line was so unreliable that the few reliable depth pieces probably got some good looks. Maybe they were just trying to get him some reps in in a blowout. Maybe they know what Ben Brown has and they wanted to see what Ramsey has. Or maybe Ben Brown didn't have it. I I think both are possible and I can speculate from either side and make a compelling argument because that's just being a good beat writer and a good liar. But (laughs) either way, I I do think that it wouldn't be shocking to see more than five offensive linemen play this year, but I don't think it's going to be very long. Ben Brown also had some injury stuff during camp. I, I don't think any of it was lingering there, but that does need to be mentioned.
2: Yeah. And it does happen sometimes, right? Like I like I don't want to make too much of it. I just thought it was interesting where all of a sudden it just I mean, really from the end, like ha- halfway through the third quarter, I'd say to the end of the game, it just really kind of became the Bryce Ramsey show. And like, I didn't know what the deal was. I knew Ben Brown had not had a great night. Of course, I am not equipped to tell you just how great or how bad it was, particularly off like the first time through. I just found that interesting. But yeah, I kind of agree. Like, you know, you kind of want to see what you have from the depth standpoint. I think they could be fine depth wise on the interior. Now, if you start getting injuries at tackle, it's like, oh God, like where are they going to go from here? Because if you look at even just the half ass depth chart they put together, not a whole lot of snaps behind the top end on the tackle slide. The last thing I'll ask about offense before we, uh, before we get out of here and watch some NFL football what did you think of the drumming game? I, I did not have this penciled as the Don Terrio drumming game. And it was interesting asking Weldon about it on Tuesday or whenever it was we recorded a podcast where it was like, I think I framed the question where it was like, what kept Drummond from being like what he was last night, last year. And what it was like, not really a whole lot. Like, you know, I know people wanted to see a lot more from Mingo, but in Drummond's case, it was just a matter of targets. When you have someone like Elijah Moore, there's only so many targets to go around. And he's like, this kid's always had great hands. He's always been, you know, a pretty somewhat physical guy, and he's a decent route runner. Like, this is this is not totally surprising. I just found the way they used him to be, one, creative, two, kind of surprising. What did you think of his performance and how they used him?
1: I mean, I'm just going to start off by saying – Dontario Drummond might be the best tight end in the SEC. He's just masquerading as a receiver. That dude just – they use him as an H-back. They use him as a tight end. They use him as a slot receiver. I think if he has an NFL future, it's in that role. Kind of like uh, – what was his name? The kid from Texas a and Ricky Seals Jones, who went from receiver to tight end. Yeah, good call. But I'm going to recycle a joke from my Twitter account here because I know you do that all the time too. Um, so most people run – like side to side, and it looks like they're like actually moving their bodies. Dontario Drummond runs in the open field like he's avoiding Pac-Man ghosts. It's just very sharp turns, left, up, left, right, up, left. It's awesome to watch because you'd think that people would move diagonally if they're that good with the ball in their hands. But no, he is just the most angular runner I've ever seen. And it worked. He just turns 90 degrees, gets past a defender, turns 90 degrees again. And that was the thing that really stood out to me was I was watching from the end zone. The press box and Mercedes-Benz is behind one of the end zones. And so on that first drive, they were coming towards me. And the two big Drummond plays in that first quarter, I just saw them developing as they were happening. And it took all of my power not to just stand up and think and just yell, no one's covering him. (laughs) like he's 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 really open when you see that developing live instead of from the sideline where the camera's at you can really see how part of it was a having a really good game and part of it was i don't know if it's play design or if it was louisville making a mistake or something in between the both but just nobody was near him for a lot of his big plays and even the touchdown that got called back no one was particularly close to him and maybe he's just such an in, inescapably good route runner from the interior and didn't get slot reps with Elijah Moore last year or maybe Louisville made some mistakes and Drummond feasted every time probably a little bit of both to say the least right
2: because I mean if you're I imagine if you're Louisville you're wor- a hell of a lot more worried about what Ole Miss has coming out of the backfield corral and then obviously the Braylon Sanders element but yeah I think you're exactly right it's you asked the question, I watched the press conference from yesterday or whenever it was, you asked the question in a world where you know, your fifth string wide receiver, if he gets in and has a 75 yard game, you ask him after the game, he's like, yeah, I knew I had that in me. Drummond was like, "Not nah, surprise surprised me. I didn't think I'd have that many targets. Like I really appreciated the yeah. honesty of like, yeah, I didn't figure I'd do that, but whatever it happened, it wasn't a lack of confidence. It was, seemed like just the sheer honesty of, yeah, I didn't figure I'd get the ball thrown away that much, but I just tried to make a play. What I did, which I can appreciate, you know. If if that's kind of, it's interesting because one of the things I wrote about today was like, one, it would be so stupid to like co- try to compare what Elijah Moore did last year in a ten-game SEC-only season and compare it to one game of what Drummond did. But it is interesting to see the success that Ole Miss has had in the slot in one season plus one game in this new regime with two very different body types. And I'm just curious if you think that speaks to anything at all, or it just is a coincidence at this point.
1: Time to pull back my bag of tricks and say something I've said in about 3000 radio appearances since Lane Kiffin has been hired. So the thing about Lane Kiffin's offense is, is, he tends to highlight one good player and figure out what their strengths are all offseason, We thought it would be Ely or Sanders or something. Maybe it's Drummond. I mean, maybe yeah, Drummond exactly. is this offense. But I will also point out, I think Shakur Pearson got one target and got like 27 yards off of it. If they want to go back and throw some Elijah Moore plays, they have like a Kroger brand, Elijah Moore, or maybe even better. I mean, Shakur Pearson got one target. I don't know how good he is, but they have somebody who can do that. And there's this guy who plays slot receiver who used to play quarterback, who I spent a lot of time talking about this off season, who also looked Okay. I mean, they have targets over the middle and maybe that's just a product of what we talked about with the nickel and diming, where your outside receivers, your Mingo and your Braylon couldn't really do much, but they left you the middle of the field. And that allowed Corral to scramble for his 55 yards. And that allowed Pearson and Plumlee to get their couple of catches. And it allowed Drummond to have the, what did PFF call it? The best week one from any power five receiver since 2014. I'm skeptical of PFF grades because it's a lot of hindsight bias, but nevertheless that's impressive
2: oh it certainly is and you make a great point about the jacor pearson thing to where it's like he did get the one target and if i'm not mistaken, that was the first drive of the game and then if you look at his snap count i think he had like it was somewhere in the low teens if it was double digits at all and all of that came in the first like 16 18 minutes of the game and i'm just curious i'll be will be curious particularly with him and palm to see if that was just a product of like you mentioned, Lane Kevin loves to feature one guy, and whether that's a season-long thing in this conversation remains to be seen. But obviously, they saw this drumming thing was working, and they're like, we're just going to stick with this. To Whereas, it opens up kind of a larger conversation about, like, if Ole Miss does have legitimate threats on the outside, and you believe Sanders is one, if Mingo can become one, you have some really interesting pieces in the middle, and that could just make them all the more dangerous particularly if you can solidify Mingo as some sort of consistent threat, obviously I know you got to cover the guy, but if that guy has like one game, I imagine the next week, the middle of the field would just be that more wide open because there's only so much you can, like, there's only so much a fucking defensive secondary can stretch like that. That seems to be a real catch 22 for defenses.
1: Yeah. It's, we've been watching Jonathan Mingo do what he does for this is the third year now. And at a certain point you wonder, is he what he is? Yes. you, You hope to see, 12 games of Braylon Sanders, because just, I mean, on a personal level, we all really just hope the kid doesn't get hurt again. It's been too long of a journey for him. Uh, But beyond that, yeah, everything's going to come over the middle. And I'm interested to see how as the season progresses, are they going to use more Ely as receiver? Are they going to use more Parrish as receiver to try and uh, work that in? Are they going to have more two running back sets? I don't remember a single snap with two running backs in the backfield this game
2: i don't Um, think there was one
1: yeah which is something they did last year it's not like they've forgotten how to do it maybe it was kind of a vanilla offense of they said fine you're not going to let us hit home runs let's just run the same six plays over and over again this like this is a game of madden and we found the stuff that works i don't know maybe that's what was happening or maybe this is the offense now and If fans want to complain about 43 points and 569 yards a game, find a way to do it.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting. Kiffin has shown the ability to go back and forth. And I think that shows his ability as a good to elite level play caller is like, he's, you know, he can do the vanilla thing, but he's also done things in the past where it's very clear that he's just like a lot. He's very like, audacious or whatever you want to call it about like putting stuff on film, like going the opposite yeah. of Vanilla, Noah, just to make teams have to like prepare for that later down the road and put another seed in their head for the lack of a better phrase. And I think that probably speaks to just kind of where he's at as I say, play caller, it's obviously more of Levy's offense, but just a schemer or whatever you want to call it that. Yeah. And I think that's both of them. So I think that, I don't know. It's fascinating. I'm going to be interested to see what that offense looks like in week five, week six, whatever the hell that is against Alabama. Um, well, the last thing I got for you was the press box cookie situation. Like, how's that been going? Is is, is are, you back? are we back to the normal there? COVID didn't screw up that, did it?
1: There were no cookies because it was a Chick-fil-A game, so everything was funneled through Chick-fil-A. They had, like, an ice cream bar, which I did not indulge in. What a but, disgrace. You know I haven't had ice cream in, like, 20 years, right? No, I didn't. Actually, we're I might have
2: known that, but there are so many things I've known about you that I've either – tried to forget or just happened to forget by accident? What's the ice cream deal? You're not an ice cream guy?
1: Oh, it's, it's really simple where I was like seven or eight years old and my parents took me to Brewster's and they said, let's get ice cream. And I said, I don't like ice cream. And they said, sure you do. And I said, no, I don't. And it's been 20 years and I'm still sticking to it. I mean, there's a chance I like it. There's a chance that in 20 years I've proven I don't like it, but uh, yeah, no, just that much stubbornness. If you want to know what the snack situation is, uh, I know this is audio, but I'll show you on Zoom what I've been snacking on next to my desk. Just a giant family-sized box of Count Chocula cereal. What is uh, Count Chocula?
2: What, are we, what do we got going on there? Is that Cocoa Pops type of deal? Is that British? We, where, are we, where are we
1: getting that? You never heard of, you never heard of Count Chocula? It no, is, no. Uh, they, they, around Halloween, every fall, they sell three types of like monster brand cereals. So there's like Boo Count Chocula, and Frankenberry, maybe. Uh, and they are like Lucky Charms-ish, but flavored. There's marshmallows, and there's chocolatey, and there's berry flavors. And when I was in college, uh, UGA had an all-night dining hall that had a gigantic cereal bar. And me and my friend Cody would, every single night, just from like 11 p.m. to 1 a.m., eat as much cereal as we could while we were decompressing from being dumb college students. And so I saw him last week when I was in Atlanta and he gave me a gigantic box of Count Chocula as a gift. And now to go through the meme, I have to actually eat a whole box of Count Chocula.
2: He is Nick Suss. He is a cookie connoisseur, cereal connoisseur, great beat writer, Good podcaster, sworn enemy of ice cream. I think I've covered your entire resume there. I appreciate the time, dude. We'll catch up here again, I'm sure, in a few weeks or so. But uh, I appreciate the time. This is fun, and uh, be well, my friend.
1: Yeah, you too. Anytime you need me, I will be around to mildly annoy you with the weird things about me.
2: And that was Nick Suss. Appreciate his time, as always. And we will now go to LB's Greg Hoppin' on to make our picks. Got our first NFL slate up, college slate. Uh, The way Greg and I do this, basically, we just run through every NFL game, kind of pick five that we're keyed in on that we call our locks. And then, really, most weeks, we'll pick the SEC games in college and then maybe some other marquee matchups. We're not good at this. We just do it for fun. Have fun shooting the shit on a Friday. Fade us. uh, If you must, if you ride with us, you probably need to get your head examined. So, anyway, enjoy these picks. All right, we now welcome on Greg the Meat Sharp Jones for our week two edition of Fresh Cuts presented by both LBs and Skybox Sports Picks. Check them out skyboxsportspick.com. As football season gets rolling, their first week's NFL card was there. Go check out the Futures Package. If you're into wagering, uh, check them out because they are going to have a Picks Package in your price range, and they are the professionals. We are not the professionals but we enjoy doing it anyway. We've got a full slate of NFL games to get to the first real week of our, of our uh, fourth year of doing this segment, as we rode through a full NFL slate and some sec games. What's up, dude? Oh man, is this fourth year that we've done this? It's third or fourth. I lost count. So I just rounded up.
3: Time flies when you have fun, you know? So, uh, yeah, uh, just getting ready for the, uh, first home game in Oxford this weekend. And, uh, should be a pretty good crowd and uh, just, like I said, ready for to pull some trigger on some action and win some money this week.
2: Yeah, so you beat me to where I was going. Where uh, What's going on at the store? What's uh, Is game day weekend any different than – like, what's game day weekend like for you guys any different than a normal weekend? I imagine it's got to be a little bit. Just kind of give a slowdown to what's going on up to LBs. Yeah,
3: uh, well, I mean, we uh, just got done doing all the sausage for the weekend, so we're stocked up with some fresh sausages just got a bunch of sauce done, some sausage off the smoker. Uh, did some spicy Hawaiian, some new smoked uh, pork sausage. Uh, did a new lamb sausage for the weekend and uh, got some fresh seafood. And, uh, yeah, uh, the, you know, the football weekends are kind of different. Uh, we're actually going to be open from 10 to 3 on Saturday. Uh, it's kind of like Friday night lights around here. So whenever the Rebs play, you know, we close up shop and go, check them out and go watch the game and go enjoy herself just like every other Ole Miss fan. So um, yeah, just ready. uh, Usually Thursday and Fridays are pretty busy people coming into town, getting all their goods for the weekend and then uh, heading back and getting ready for the uh, getting ready for the Rebs on Saturday.
2: Yeah. So do you, what's your plan of attack? Like after y'all shut down the store, do you just catch it at the library? Do you go in the stadium at all? What is your kind of routine? Man, I usually
3: uh, I usually go to the library to make sure the uh, all the books are in order and uh, everybody and everybody's uh, reading and having a good time. So uh, yeah, I mean I, I'm I'm a big library guy because I like to watch uh, other games going on on top of the Rebs. So uh, yeah, I usually try to weasel my way into the library and uh, uh, catch catch a couple games and uh, hopefully the rebels won't have any trouble this weekend with Austin P. And uh, but yeah, there's a bunch of good games on this weekend.
2: Yeah, there are. I think the, uh, the Rebels will be safe. I don't know if that'll necessarily go into our picks. We might just throw it in as a fun one. Last thing, though, before we get to the picks, the, uh, I've kind of almost spilled the beans on the tent I grew up going to, kind of getting around the open flame loophole. But for you guys, like for people that can't grow in the Grove, what is kind of the go to at LB's for something that's either already prepared or something you can make without having a cop ruin your day? yeah i
3: mean i would think you know some of the smoked sausages that spicy hawaiian that smoked pork sausage um the lb's hot dog uh, is always a really good uh choice um but i would say you know try to get some of those stuffed mushrooms the uh cream cheese and ribeye sausage and the spinach and cheese and just go ahead and put them in a little sheet pan and bake them in the oven and then just you know eat them eat them and uh take them to the grove but uh, yeah, it'd be awesome to fire up a you know a big smoker in the middle of the grove and smoke some meats in the middle of the grove, but that's not happening for sure.
2: Yeah, I uh, that's the one. Uh, the one downside to the grove. So check them out, LB's University Avenue, across from Kroger. Let's get into the college first, then we'll get in the NFL. We'll have our usual, uh, I guess. Uh, wake up a winter pick where it would already be a, a result with the Thursday night game. We got the bucks and the Cowboys kicking off about an hour, before, uh, an hour from the time we record this. But of course, by the time most of you, well, all of you are listening to this, that will have long been decided, but let's hit a couple of the college games first. Uh, there's a couple of interesting sec lines. We'll start with Tennessee is plus three at home against Pittsburgh Tennessee struggled in the first half last week against Bowling Green, who's one of the worst programs in the FBS. Then kind of turned it on in the second half. I actually didn't think they looked half bad. They had some decent athletes. I thought that Joe Milton kid looked competent, which Tennessee has not always had at the quarterback position. Uh, do you have a lean here? I w- admittedly do not know a whole a lot about Pitt. Uh, I what did they do last week? Pitt beat the um, hell out last week, is what it was, like fifty to seven or something like that. Don't know yeah, a ton of So what yeah? Opinion? I don't
1: either.
3: Uh, I mean, you know, you would think that uh, you know, SC, uh, the SEC talent that Tennessee has on the ball in certain uh, core positions would probably be better than Pittsburgh's, but um, I don't know. It, I, it seems like uh, that might be kind of a trap game with that line like that. But um, I, I like Pittsburgh here. I mean, I just uh, I don't think maybe ten. Uh, I think uh, a slow start against Bowling Green, uh, they probably couldn't do that against Pittsburgh and uh, just don't need to dig themselves a hole like that. So I'm I'm going to go with a random pick here, and I'm going to go Pittsburgh over, to, uh, over Tennessee.
2: I have no idea what to make of Tennessee this year. I have no idea how competitive they'll be, no idea how many games they'll win. But this is an important one, and this is kind of something we talked about with Charlie Burris of A to Z Sports when we did our season preview series. Like, Tennessee needs to win these games because it's going to become a lot tougher sledding in SEC play. Uh, I Like Josh Heupel as a coach, I'm really not even basing that off of, obviously, one week last week. I'll go Tennessee plus three at home here just because mediocre ACC teams, I think you kind of saw that kind of how the difference in drop-off in, in terms of the middle class of the two conferences, and Ole Miss is probably upper-middle class. You could maybe, depending on the year shakes out, argue that Ole Miss is upper-class, so I guess we'll kind of see. But, like, Louisville could potentially be a 7- or an 8-win team still, and it wouldn't shock me if it would. And they're not good. Like, you you saw that on, on Monday night. They couldn't block. Cunningham really hasn't progressed much as a passer I just, I'm going to go win in doubt, I'll go with the SEC team. And that's a classic week two strategy where I really have no idea a whole lot about either of these teams. I did watch Tennessee last week. Surprisingly enough, I did not watch Pitt and UMass. So I'm going to go <laughs> Tennessee plus three at home. Yeah,
3: I think that's a good bet. I just, like I said, uh, just not, not, uh, not knowing so much with uh, the Tennessee yet. I'm, I think I'm just going to go Pitt and just try to be an oddball pick right there.
2: Another interesting one, and you talk about uh, well, I guess this is a non-power five school technically, but it's a it's it's ECU is hosting South Carolina, so South Carolina is going to Greenville, North Carolina, to take on the East Carolina Pirates. This is a noon game on ESPN two. South Carolina with a graduate assistant that's turned quarterback. Have you seen this story? I forget Zeb Nolan was a. Uh, at Iowa State for a while, I think finished up at either Wyoming or one of the Dakota schools, went to go work under Shane Beamer as a GA, had some injuries at quarterback, and all of a sudden he was named the week one starter. They handled whoever it was they played in week one that was not a uh, like competitive opponent. This is another one we'll learn more as the season goes on. Who the hell knows? I don't know what the hell to expect from ECU. Do you have a lean here at all?
3: Yeah, I mean, not really. I mean, uh, I would think just South Carolina has better – talent across the board than ECU. If not, uh, it might be a long season for uh, in Columbia for the Gamecocks. So with that being said, I think I'm going to go with South Carolina here, just uh, take the reasonable pick here and just take the SEC, which I should have done last time with the uh, Tennessee and Pittsburgh, but I'm going to go with South Carolina here.
2: We're uh, going fade central here at the beginning. I'm going to take East Carolina. I, I don't trust a-, a guy that was going to be cutting up film and whatnot. Three weeks ago, um, or maybe a little bit longer than that to go on the road and beat kind of a prickly American Conference school. I don't remember what ECU's record was last year. Week one they lost 33 to 19 to an App State team that I assume is pretty good. Um, I don't know what they were last year. Uh, but so I'll go ECU here. I'll take the I'll take the points and being at home. That's again, what the hell are we doing? If you're actually wagering on that game, which is the disclaimer we put every week, we don't obviously wager on all these. Like if you're, if you're wagering on that one, uh, God help you, man. That's a, that's a whole other.
3: uh, Google that 800 number.
2: Yeah. So I, I guess I'll go East Carolina here. I'm honestly, it's week two and I'm struggling to kind of find some decent sec lines. I don't really have much interest in picking Georgia UAB. A and M is minus 17 on the road against Colorado. That's kind of an interesting one. That's a lot of points for a Colorado team that should be competent, even though they're not good. Uh, Let's just go ahead and let's hammer that one. What do you think? Colorado beat Northern Colorado 35-7 to last week. I think that game was close for like a couple quarters. Like, I think it was one of those where Northern Colorado just kind of ran out of depth and gas. But I think that game was close for about two quarters. Again, have really no idea what to make of Colorado uh, at all. So, I – yeah, I don't know. I don't know much about their head coach, Carl Durrell. What's that? I can't remember. He came from... Where did that guy come from? Buffalo. No, I want to say he's an assistant, like UCLA or something. I, I can't remember. Either way. Whatever. Um, Don't yeah, really know okay. what to make of them. That is a lot of points, though. Are you going to lay the Aggies on the road?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think Texas A.M.'s a good club, but I mean, you know, again, 17 points on the road. I mean, uh, I hope those uh, A&M players stay at the hotel and not venture out into downtown Colorado and visit one of those shops and uh, that affects their uh, about affects their playing saturday so uh i i i like i like uh, the points here i think uh too many so we're gonna go with colorado in the points
2: sounds like you're banking on Haynes king being on the edibles i that that's a bold strategy i'm not saying it's a it's a bad one i'm just uh i'm gonna go when you
3: go to colorado why can you not why can't you not stop and make sure uh make sure everything's fun
2: it's a fair point. I don't have much of a to that one. I'll go Colorado though with you on this one as well. I, I just think it's a lot of points and like that could be A&M up 20, the whole game. And then Colorado throws some sort of garbage time touchdown. And it's like, okay, I probably didn't deserve to win that ticket, but you'll take it. So whatever, I'll take the 17 points at home as well and go with the Colorado Buffalo. Don't have a ton to add to that one. Let's get into an SEC matchup and then get into what might be the marquee SEC game of the weekend, which is not the, the conference matchup. The SEC matchup we have is Kentucky minus five hosting Missouri. Uh, Missouri did not look great last week. Eli Drinkowitz was uh, not not happy with the way his team played, and understandably so. Uh, honestly, I thought this line would be a little bit more. I am Maybe I'm a sucker, but I will go all over Kentucky minus five.
3: Yeah, I'm gonna go with my first lock of the day for sure. I, I like Kentucky a lot. Um, they, you know, um, been with the quarterback situation that they uh, that they, you know, had. I think that quarter is he the transfer from Auburn? Is that? Am I right
2: on that? No, this is the kid from Penn State that Joey oh, Gatewood yeah. actually ended up at UCF with uh, with Gus Malzahn.
3: Okay, yeah, no, I um, I like uh, and Kentucky's sneaky good, you know, and they uh, are coached properly and. Uh, well coached so I, I like this and I really think this is going to be a, a real easy game like you were saying you would think that it would be like 10 and a half give or take but I think the uh, number's a little low and I like Kentucky a lot
2: yeah it's kind of funny to say someone has to finish second to last in the east like obviously Vanderbilt my god did you see that Vanderbilt score last week ET uh, East Tennessee State beat them 23-3 Someone's got to finish second to last in that whole mix. And I I think Missouri is probably your most likely candidate. I think Kentucky's going to be pretty good if they can continue to get decent quarterback play, which they they flashed last week, which you have not seen. There was a they play in that game where the kid threw the ball and his name is escaping me as I'm blanking on it. Uh, like a 35-yard spiral down the sideline. And I was like, I haven't seen a Kentucky quarterback do that in quite some fun. Well, Will Levis, I think is how you say it. He's back up at Penn state transferred in late. And uh, if they can get continue to get solid quarterback, play, I think there's a real case that they finish second in the sec East. I like that defense and I like the skill positions mm-hmm. around them. So that, uh, that line to me is shockingly small. So I feel pretty yeah. good about that one. I didn't explain to the rules to the listeners out there. I was going to save all five locks for the NFL, but we'll roll through all these games and then Greg and I'll be awarded five locks apiece, which will count more than our normal bets. So we'll, We'll add up each week what our record is, and then we'll add up what we were on our locks, which is probably the games you would actually wager on. Obviously, you're not wagering on all 16 NFL games or what it is. But we'll give each other one this week in college as well. So you use yours there. I want to, but I'll hold off on it just for the sake of being different. The next game we have okay. is – Arkansas hosting Texas, an old Southwest conference rivalry that uh, when Arkansas and Texas, excuse me, when Texas and Oklahoma join the SEC is probably going to quickly turn into a real rivalry. I don't know the state of both programs at that point, but uh, these two schools have a little bit of bad blood. I'm kind of right in the center of it in Dallas. Um, Definitely, definitely some rivalry potential here rather than the forced A&M Arkansas one they've tried to, to try to force down our throats over the last half decade. Arkansas is plus seven at home. I got to say last week, one of our losses, we were both all over ULL. I knew it was probably a little bit too good to be true. I was pretty impressed with Texas. That's not a bad ULL club and they handled them uh, pretty handily. I know they allowed up a little bit at some points at the end, but like that was a, that was a good team in Stark's debut that they handled like pretty routinely Uh, Arkansas fairly pedestrian win over rice 38 to 17 KJ Jefferson looked Okay. Uh, where do you go in here? Because uh, I think I have a lean, but I'll let you go first. Yeah, I, uh,
3: man, I think I saw on Twitter three or four times Texas is really, really back. And uh, I know that's kind of hard to say that after a first game. But uh, you could think Sharkeesian, uh, you know, has that uh, a, the Alabama mentality, you know, where, uh, you, you know, you, you pay to pl- you, you know, not pay to play, but you be perfect in every aspect of the game and uh, have that. Saving mentality and I, I think uh LSU, I mean uh Texas rolls in this game and uh easy two two touchdown game for sure.
2: Uh yeah, I think they do too. That Hudson cardlick kid looked pretty good and honestly, Texas's defense was pretty impressive to me from uh what I caught of that game. I was kind of in and out. I was at like a public place, so I wasn't able to like lock into that one, but I was uh, I was impressed with Texas. I think I'm gonna go Texas minus seven as well. I just Arkansas really rode a lot of high from Really, three, four games—the beginning of last season it was really the first half of last season. Really, the first three and a half games or so, and I'm just not sure how good they are, and I'm not sure. You know, as as Weldon Rodenberg, my uh, co-host on the Sunday show, kind of mentioned, there's a reason Ole Miss didn't really lose sleep over KJ Jefferson going to Arkansas. I'm just not sold. I I think this is probably one where you lose the bet if 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 our, if Texas turns it over a couple times and gets in like a fourteen nothing hole, and you're just like, great shit. But like if 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 all things if they can survive the first 12 minutes of this game without doing something disastrous, I, I think they're eventually going to win this by 14 to 17 points. So I will go Texas minus seven as well.
3: Yeah, I agree. I think that's a good pick.
2: The last one we have worth doing from an SEC standpoint. Oh, I'm, it's right in front of my face. I was just missing it. Mississippi State, who did not quite cover the 23-point spread last week against Louisiana Tech, really had to pull something out of their ass just to win the game. La Tech was up 34-14 in the fourth quarter and and lost the game. So that was just excruciating uh, to watch, I imagine, if you were a uh, Louisiana Tech fan. I actually made it. uh, I'm friends with a guy that I met out here that's a La Tech grad, and I texted him like halfway through, and I was like, I think they're actually going to pull this shit off, and then it just completely jinxed it. It is NC State minus one and a half. And I know week one produces weird results, and I don't think State's as bad as they showed last week, but I mean, NC State beat the brakes off of South Florida last week, who I don't think is very good, but you, you, there's just no way you can tell me to put my cold hard-earned cash on Mississippi State after watching that last week. They turned it over a bunch. They had a ton of penalties. The offensive line didn't look very good. I just don't maybe this is a trap like I honestly figured this would be NC State minus four or so after what we saw from State last week but it's one and a half and it'd been kind of around to pick them for you know most of the last month I'm all over NC State here I guess this will be my one college lock
3: yeah I have to agree with you also I mean you know it's just uh you would think that you know in a, in a football season you get luck there's a lot of luck involved and uh, you know, you win a game that you're not supposed to, and uh, I think that Mississippi State used all their luck last yesterday, I mean, last, last weekend with a, uh, you know, just, it was, th- like you said, 34-14 uh, at one point in the game, and uh, it just seemed like it was a sign-sealed delivered, and uh, I think La Tech, that last possession of, their ga- of the game, they ran it three times and settled for a 45-yard field goal, which was kind of a head-scratcher to me, but uh, you know, I guess you have a lot of faith in your kicker to knock one down uh, on the road. Uh, to, uh, um, but it happened. And, uh, you know, State came back and won. I, I just, uh, this just screams North Carolina State, you know,
2: all day long. So I like it a lot too. We'll go a couple more before we go to the NFL, probably the most important Hawk game in the history of the over a hundred year long rivalry. This could have serious college football playoff implications, even if not directly like it's Iowa versus Iowa State. And what I mean by that is, is you're going to have Oklahoma and Ohio State presumably vying for the playoff, and there's a chance that they meet one of these schools. I don't know if Ohio State plays Iowa in the regular season. I'll have to look that up. But there's a chance that Iowa State plays Oklahoma second time in the Big 12 title game, and there's definitely a huge chance that uh, Iowa plays Ohio State either for the first or second time in the Big 10 championship game. And, you know, if one of those or both of those schools have one loss – like, I think that Big 12 championship, Big 10 championships that have been kind of an afterthought in the past are probably going to end up carrying some weight because of the opponents in them in both Iowa and Iowa State, who I think are pretty good. So even if you don't think either one of these clubs is going to buy for the playoff, they could have some secondhand effects out of some conferences that are going to, you know, just kind of hope and pray to get one team in. And that's, I think, both of those leagues. So you've got it's in Iowa City, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think, wait, do I have this right? I want to make sure. No, excuse me. The game is in Ames. It is Iowa State, minus four and a half at home against Iowa. Uh, Iowa looked like the better team last week. They blew the brakes off of Indiana. That was probably our safest win of the week last week. I was all over that. Uh, I think you went Iowa as well. Um, but then Iowa State is kind of notoriously vanilla earlier in the year. If you read anything to Matt Campbell, I think it was like 16 10 against Northern Iowa. Some of that had to be intentional. Uh, i'll open it to you first what do you have a lean here
3: yeah i mean i like iowa i mean i just uh i mean nothing against uh, iowa state's head coach who i know that there's some sec he's had some sec um you know uh whispers about joining but uh i mean i think he's uh pretty seems like he's pretty ha- uh, happy at iowa state and has turned that program down around to be a top 15 top 10 uh program so uh, I, I just like Iowa. I just I think they're just solid. They're always solid on defense, and you know always have a uh, solid offense. And uh, I just you know it should be a really good game. I think a field goal is going to uh, is is going to come down to a field goal. So I I, I like to have the, the points in this game right here.
2: Haven't looked at the public money, but I imagine just based off the results last week, and again, there's always that rule, don't really trust week one results, weird things happen. I'm just going to go against all logic and I'll go Iowa State minus the four and a half here. I'm just going to go with the team that looked worse last week. They get it at home. You know, it's not terrible. You're not having to cover a touchdown or anything like that. I agree that Iowa looked like the much better team last week, but I'm literally just kind of going in the face of logic because that kind of shows you what this stuff does to my brain. Just kind of puts in a pretzel, always looking for a lean that doesn't make sense. So I'll go Iowa State there minus the four and a half. Two more quick ones before we get to the NFL. Uh, Washington travels to a couple interesting Pac-12 Big Ten non-conference games. Um, I Michigan is minus seven at home against Washington. Washington lost to, who did they lose to last week? It was like, Montana. Easy. yeah, they lost to Montana, which doesn't seem great. I guess that was a, uh, first,
3: the first time Montana beat uh, Washington in like 106 years or something like that. Something, some ridiculous number.
2: That seems like a long time.
3: Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a century. So, I mean, you know, if people make it a century and then that, they're doing pretty good.
2: Yeah, so I guess I'll go Michigan minus seven.
3: Yeah, I like Michigan a lot. You know, I just, uh, with that being said, you know, uh, not to take any way from Montana, and I'm pretty sure they're a uh, well-coached football team, And uh, you know, but uh, to lose at home first game to, uh, is Montana even FBS? They are not. Oh, so there you go, even worse. So, with that being said, you know, Michigan looked good. I know they lost their uh, wide receiver, and that might hurt them, but. Uh, you know, Harbaugh's, you know, kind of on the hot seat. He's, uh, he's not been really uh, producing in the, in the last couple of years, and I think he's going to have to do something with it this year.
2: Last one before we get to the NFL, Ohio State hosts Oregon. Oregon had some trouble with Fresno State last week, but came out. I think they won that game by touchdown. Iowa State looked pretty sluggish. Uh, Stroud did not look very good at quarterback for about two and a half, three quarters of that game, then seemed to kind of figure it out. Uh, I, you know, people. It was a standalone game. People always want to overreact. Like, you know, one of these teams that's in the kind of the upper tier of college football, the, the kind of five, six teams that buy for the playoff every year, don't look completely dominant from the opening snap on the opening weekend. People just kind of overreact. So I'll go Ohio State minus fourteen here because I, I just don't believe Oregon's very good.
3: Yeah, uh, eh, man, that's a lot of points. You know, for uh, for you know, kind of marquee matchup between two conferences. Uh, is it are are they going if they affiliate each other? Is this going to be eventually a conference game?
2: Oregon and Ohio State, I doubt it. You yeah. got you got some inside info there.
3: No, I, I mean I thought that you know the Big Ten and the Pac twelve and the Big twelve and the Big twelve was kind of trying to combine to make you know making a like their own conference they decide uh, so, to form so, an
2: alliance no one actually knows what the alliance, oh, means. alliance I think it was like in a scheduling agreement but I don't think it'll be like conference games and stuff
3: yeah I think it'd be I think it'd be cool to, you know that a lot of SEC plays ACC and Big 12 plays uh, Big Ten and I, I mean I just think that's that that sells a lot better than uh, these you know uh, these you know cupcake games I would say I think what did uh, um, I, I don't know I like I like Oregon State I mean I like Oregon here I think I'm gonna go. Uh, with the team, with the points on the road. I know that, you know, Ohio State looked good last week against – I mean, kind of looked good uh, towards the end. Uh, They end up uh, almost covering. It was 14-and-a-half on that Minnesota. But I like – I'm going to go with Oregon here. Uh, We'll uh, just roll the dice with the underdog.
0: Let's
2: get to the league where they pay for – or pay for play, as the uh, great Mike Francesa often says. So the rules for this: you get five locks. We'll go through each game. Obviously, the disclaimer is we are not actually wagering on all these games. We won't uh elaborate a ton of time on some of the uh, the shitter games, but uh just feel free to roll with fire away with your locks at any point, and we will uh let's get rolling. We'll roll through all these. The first one, Thursday night game. This game has moved from like a touchdown almost to 10 points here in like the last 36 hours. As I have it right now, Tampa Bay hosting Dallas in the NFL's first game of the year is Tampa Bay minus nine and a half. Dallas is without Zach Martin. I think another offensive lineman as well. Dak hasn't played in over a year that doesn't smell like a recipe for success, but that's a lot of points.
3: Yeah, that is a lot of points in a professional football game. So with that being said, I don't know, man. I think Brady and them are pretty solid across the board. Uh, you know, they got everybody back, and, uh, and it's just hard to bet against Tom Brady. I just, uh, especially whenever. Are they presenting the rings tonight, too? I would
2: imagine there's something going on there. Yes.
3: Yeah. So I don't know. I, I you know, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the hot hand. I, I like Tampa Bay here. I, I mean, for sure, they can. I think they can cover this with easy, uh, winning by two touchdowns.
2: I'll go Dallas just because underdogs in the NFL have hit it like almost 60% over the last year and a half, if I'm not mistaken, Dallas is not a bad team, and nine and a half points is a lot to cover in the NFL, offensive line, no offensive line. That's, That's a lot of points for a team that might have the best receiving core in the NFL top to bottom. So I don't like the Cowboys. I'll probably just swallow my pride. On this one, and uh, just root for a, th- root for a tie. But I, uh, I'm gonna go Dallas plus nine and a half here. That's just a ton of points. Like I uh, said, it's always good to get uh get a good Thursday game on. Great, great, great first Sunday slate. Uh, we don't get the two Monday games this year. I don't know if that's an ESPN thing or a scheduling thing. I thought that was kind of interesting. But uh, we got a ton, ton of great action on Sunday. We're gonna start off with the Bills minus six and a half ho- hosting the revamped Pittsburgh Steelers. Drafted Najee Harris still not a hundred percent sold on that offensive line. Big Ben kind of had really fell off a cliff after like week 12 last year, it is Buffalo minus six and a half, which again is a lot of points.
3: Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, you would think uh, that's why you kind of take these underdogs in the in, early in the first week or two, just because, you know, Vegas is still trying to figure it out their mode cells, but Man, that's a tough call. And Buffalo's got a pretty decent uh, team. And uh, you know, I think they what they win 10, ten 12 games last year.
2: Yeah, they won the division. Josh Allen probably gonna be an MVP candidate this year. I believe he is the odds on favorite to win the MVP this year. Uh added Emmanuel Sanders to an already improved receiving core that includes Stefan Diggs. Pretty good defense, but there was times a little bit. Uh, shaky towards the end of last season. I'm going Pittsburgh here. Uh, I think Buffalo is a better team. Week one always produces very weird results in the NFL. Uh, I could see Pittsburgh stealing this game outright, honestly, and it ended up not making any sense towards the end of the year. So I'll go Pittsburgh plus six and a half.
3: Yeah, I'll go with you on Pittsburgh too. I like it. Let's go with these underdogs.
2: Well, Carolina, the Sam Darnold Bowl. They got Sam Darnold revenge game. First game is a Carolina Panther. He is minus four at home against the New York Jets. I think the Jets are obviously going to finish last in the AFC East. I think they have some potential to be kind of a fun garbage times team. Zach Wilson can really sling it. Obviously, uh, Elijah Moore there. Hopefully, uh, some good fantasy implications there. But I, I, the Jets just have—they're full on rebuild. I don't see them being overly competitive here. Um, but so I'm going to go Carolina minus four. I'm going to bank on Sam Darnold really sticking it to an organization. He probably felt like screwed him a bit with all the dysfunction around them. So I'm going to go Carolina minus four.
3: Yeah, I think we've never won with the Jets or betting with the Jets or betting against the Jets. I don't think we've ever won. Well, remember,
2: we banned banned ourselves from picking either New York team for a while last year, and it took us like two weeks to break our own rule. (laughs) You remember Uh, this? And then I think at one point we locked the Jets' money line when they were still winless. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, never doubt the
3: professional athlete, and I think they lost by like three touchdowns. Uh, no I like Carolina here I mean I think uh, Sam Darnold uh, you know uh, probably a good good comeback game and uh, first game with a, uh, a new team and uh, why not be uh, uh, playing against your old teams uh, so let's uh, let's go with Sam Darnold to light up the Jets
2: next one here's a great game for you I'm sure everyone will be locked in this one Houston Texans hosting the Jacksonville Jaguars you know there was probably some sneaky potential for the Jags to be like a sleeper in what is a really weak uh, AFC South. And I say that as someone who loosely roots for the Tennessee Titans, I would qualify myself as a Titans fan. I don't really get worked up on Sundays about any team, uh, really, depending on what side you have, but you get what I'm getting at. I'm, I'm not like a, the Titans winning or losing does not really affect my Sunday. Yeah,
3: you're not painting your face or, you know, painting your body and going to the games on Sunday.
2: No, I'm a red zone guy. And if I have a second TV, <laughs> I'll have the Titans up their standalone game. Obviously I'm locked in, but I'm flipping back and forth at best when they're playing in the noon slate. But, you know, it was kind of some sneaky potential there with Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence. But then like throughout the preseason, it's very clear they're just hoping he doesn't die. I don't think they're going to be able to block for him at all. But that said, the Texans are the worst. The Texans are the worst team in football. Uh I guess maybe you can consider the lines. The Texans are plus three at home against the Jaguars to open the NFL season. Uh, My God.
3: That, yeah. That's uh, I guess that's a uh, 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 make sure you have a half gallon of your favorite beverage in front of you while you watch that game. Uh, no, man, no, no, no. If you I,
2: watch I, that game, you need you need to go get checked out. Yeah, for sure.
3: Uh, Maybe the under? I mean, do we have to bet? bet 45 and a half.
2: That might be the best (laughs) way to go. There's no way there's 45 points. I'll tell you what, though. I'll just be the guy that that, that lobs the turd in the punch bowl. Texans plus three. Why the hell not? (laughs) I'm getting three points at home. They've spent all season just getting shit on as a collective organization. This would be one of those results in week one where it's like, how did this happen?
3: Yeah, I'll go with you on the home team. Yeah, we'll just we'll just roll with the Texans. I think that the that they're going to be our Jets this year. We're uh, we're going to have to probably ban ourselves from them.
2: That's good. Both of these teams that's going to end up becoming a problem. We might have a, a, an entire AFC South ban. Honestly, with the whole <laughs> situation, the Titans are always good for a stinker. Just put that put that in your uh, file that away in our files for this podcast because that's that's certainly a chance that that progresses. Uh, into some sort of AFC South Bend because that division, the Titans better win it or it's just like, dear God, what are you doing? Um, Speaking of my Tennessee Titans, they are hosting the Arizona Cardinals and they are only a field goal favorite. It is the Tennessee Titans minus three at home in Nashville. That makes me nervous. It's a sucker line, but whatever. I'll hammer it use my first lock. I love the Titans minus three. I think the Cardinals will probably end up being – pretty good i think they'll be improved defensively but kyra murray took a lot of hits last year i don't think kingsbury's a very good coach they regressed towards the end of the year and in a very tough division he's by far the weakest coach that being kingsbury and murray's a small guy that didn't get protected well so i'm gonna go titans minus three here and use my first lock
3: yeah i mean i know that uh Uh, They added um, James Conner, the running back for the Steelers, uh, to go with that Edmonds. I drafted that Edmonds guy. I I hope he turns out well. But, uh, yeah, I I agree with you on the the hits that Murray was taking, you know, and uh, he's not the the biggest cat of them all. So, with that being said, I think I'm going to go with you on the the Tennessee Titans. I just think that uh, this is a a game that the Titans, uh, you know, win by – you know, at least push or win by a touchdown for sure.
2: Here's a game that probably when they made the schedule, you weren't like, ooh, this is going to be tasty. But this actually has potential to be an awesome game. The Washington professional football team is hosting the L.A. Chargers. Uh, Brandon Staley, the head coach for the Chargers. Now, Justin Herbert really looked like a, uh, a, a very, like potentially a top five NFL quarterback in his future with a pretty incompetent coaching staff last year under Anthony Lynn. And they it is Washington football team minus one. Washington made the playoffs last year, won the NFC East with arguably the worst quarterback play in the entire NFL. Alex Smith. They went Kyle Allen. They went Dwayne Haskins. They went Alex Smith on one leg and then played a playoff game with Taylor Heineke. They signed Fitz Magic. He's always good from some early September magic here. <sighs> I, I, this one, I don't really know. I mean, this is to me is a stay away and a half. I'll go the Washington football team. I think they have really good defense, even though they faced a ton of really bad quarterbacks. Actually, I'm, I'm switching it up. I'm going chargers. I'll take chargers plus one on the road. I just think they're a better overall team. Uh,
3: I like, I I like the uh, Washington professional football team. Uh, This is a travel rule game and uh, you know, San Diego coming across three time zones and uh, playing. Is it a 12 o'clock game too?
2: Yes, it's a 12 it, o'clock game, but they also moved to L.A., which I still do all the time.
3: Uh, yeah, so the, uh, I, I like Washington here. I think Fitzmagic gets the thing. I, uh, I drafted Terry McLaurin, and I think he's going to have a, a nice year. And uh, 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 I, think, I think Washington's going to be sneaky good this year. I like Ron Rivera.
2: They were my pick in the newsletter today, to win the NFC East. Not that that's saying a lot. I just don't trust the Cowboys. The other two teams are so bad at quarterback. I think the Washington football team wins the NFC East. But, shit, man, they could win it with seven, seven wins, six wins, particularly with the yeah, seven. Yeah, they got – didn't they get in the
3: playoffs with seven wins last year?
2: Yeah, I think they were like 7-8-1 and one or 7-9. and nine. I can't remember what the exact record was. But they literally – they won – uh, they they won the division with probably the worst quarterback play in the NFL. So, I like them. I just think the Chargers are are, are a better overall football team, but I'll probably come to regret that one. Yeah, Next up, we've got good, the – Good defense. Atlanta Falcons minus three and a half at home against the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm not a believer in the Eagles. I don't really see it with the Jalen Hurts thing. The I forget – what's the coach's name? Nick Sirianni. He's kind of said some weird shit in the offseason. That's never a great sign. Um, I – Atlanta's the team. Atlanta and Denver are like the two teams where you're always like, oh, they could be pretty good, and then they really just kick you in the balls, particularly if you wager on them. But you know what? I'm down to get my September annual ball kick from the Atlanta Falcons. I'll take Atlanta here minus three and a half. Oh man,
3: who's Atlanta... who's Atlanta playing again?
2: It's Philadelphia. It's Philadelphia in Atlanta. Yeah, man, that's a uh, that's a
3: battle of the birds. Uh... Man. I, I, I mean, you know, Jalen Hurts is a winner and, uh, they drafted the, um, uh, the Smith, correct? The wide receiver from Atlanta. Yes, they did. Yeah. Um, got a little Alabama connection there. I, I'm going to go with the Eagles. So, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I just, I, I think the, the real Maddie ice left, uh, the, the, uh, the Mercedes, uh, whatever last, uh, last Monday and, uh, the, the terrible Maddie ice is back and, uh, it's going to be a long season for the Falcons. I think uh, I Think Matt Ryan's uh, t- tenure at Atlanta is finally up. So I'm going to go with the, uh, with the Eagles here.
2: Here's a gross one. Cincinnati Bengals hosting the uh, Kirk Cousins, uh, who's I don't believe – the Vikings have all those COVID issues – not COVID issues. The Vikings have one of the worst vaccination rates in the NFL. Just putting that out there as a future feeler for all of you degenerates out there, that's going to become a problem, whatever your thoughts are on the vaccine and not to turn this into COVID corner but like with Lamar Jackson, not being vaccinated. And then the, the, a lot of the Vikings team not being vaccinated. That's, that's eventually going to come back to bite them. I would imagine in some form, just with the way you're seeing it affect NFL teams that have better vaccination rates. So anyway, now that we got that out of the way, it's the Bengals plus three Joe Burrow coming back from a pretty catastrophic knee injury. I, I'll hop on the Burrow train here. I probably regret this one, but I'll go Cincinnati plus three at home.
3: Yeah. I want to have to agree with you. I mean, I, 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 uh... Joe Burrow's got a couple good weapons uh, at receiver. And uh, I, I see. I think, you know, Cincinnati might be a fun team to watch. Uh, I know that the offensive line is not the greatest, but, uh, you know, make it, uh, J- Joey V makes some plays, and uh, they'll be fun to watch. So, with that being said, why not? Let's take the Bur- uh, Joe Burrow train uh, the
2: first week. I'll get bold, and I'll really just get off in the weeds early on in this NFL season. I will change that to I will take the – Bengals plus 135 outright and lock it. I think they win the game.
3: Okay, I'll lock it with you.
2: The yeah, hell four, with I, it. There I, we I'm go. Already,
3: uh, 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 we're already halfway through the uh, first NFL podcast, and I've already forgot about my lock locks. So I need. To uh, yeah, I was about to say, you,
2: you haven't, you've got four left in the chamber. I've got three. I've used another one. That was your first one to use. Uh, you're probably not going to use it on this next one. Detroit uh, plus eight at home against the San Francisco 49ers. Jared Goff gets traded in the offseason. They probably Detroit might have the worst skill players in the NFL. I don't think that defense is going to be very good. But with that said, San Francisco they intent on starting Jimmy Garoppolo. It's kind of a Super Bowl team with some quarterback question marks, if you could call it that. Like I don't know if I fully trust it because I think there's a chance that they could just run the ball and like kind of play a little bit of a, a a sweater game there in terms of never really pulling away. It's a lot for a home team in the NFL. This is a stay away and a half, if you're asking me, but I, I guess I'll go San Francisco minus eight on the road. That's just – that feels gross.
3: I'm going to go Detroit here. I mean, you know, uh, they don't have a kicker, so they're going to be going for it a lot and trying to score a bunch of touchdowns. Uh, did, did, they, did they sign a kicker or do they still?
2: They signed someone. I imagine they will show up to the game with a kicker.
3: <laughs> I think that was great. I literally I was read that tweet and it's like, Detroit, uh, you know, waved both kickers uh, today. So, um, you know, that's a lot of points, like you were saying, NFL game, but, um, you know, kind of a travel rule. Is this a 12 o'clock game too?
2: This is a 12 o'clock game, the last one that we uh, have.
3: Uh, you know, a two-time zone travel rule, roll, roll, and it's got 12 o'clock written on it. So uh, I'm going to pull the trigger. I like Detroit. I'm going to take the Detroit Lions.
2: Really sneaky good early afternoon slate. Or not sneaky good, but this is a sneaky good game. Kansas City is hosting the Cleveland Browns. It's Kansas Kansas City minus minus five and a half. I'm going to get bold here. I'm going to take Cleveland, and I'll tell you why. Kansas City's replacing a lot on their offensive line. They played Patrick Mahomes a bunch during the preseason to, I think, kind of get used to all that. And Kansas City coming off back-to-back Super Bowls, you know Mahomes, they've had so much success over the last couple of years. I, I just could see this being a weird Week One result. Honestly, wouldn't stun me if the Browns won this game outright. I'm gonna take the Browns plus five and a half and fire my third lock on it.
3: Yeah, I mean, I kind of have to agree with you on it. You know, but, uh, actually, you know, uh, the Browns played the the uh, the Chiefs real tough in that playoff game last year, and uh, uh, you know, a, 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 a tricky fourth caller call, you know, fourth quarter call, you know, almost. One of of that game, I, you know, I really like the Browns here with you. I'm going to go with a lock too. I'm going to use one of my locks with you. I'm going to go, let's lock up the Browns.
2: I think the Chiefs are still going to win that division, but their win total I saw was like 12 and a half. And like that just feels like a lot for a team that's in the midst of back-to-back Super Bowl runs. I just could see the regular season being slight let down. Probably the game of the afternoon. I'm interested in this one probably more so than any other afternoon game. Uh, Mac Jones wins the job with the New England Patriots. They cut Cam Newton. He is minus three at home against the Tua Tungavailoa-led Miami Dolphins. You got the Alabama Bowl here. This has potential to be the most, this will lead first take on Monday morning, I would imagine, in terms of just people just having absurd overreactions to this game. Uh Patriots minus three. Call me crazy, but I'm gonna go with the Dolphins here. I don't so last year they there there's this weird ownership versus or front office versus coaching staff dynamic on like. Ryan Fitzpatrick, that team was kind of rolling. The front office wanted them to play Tua and then really just kind of flex their uh their capital, I would say, or their power and they ended up winning out. And then they didn't change the offense at all to fit Tua. I guess what I'm trying to say is I watched Tua in college, and what I saw in college was not what they did with him last year. And if they cater to any sort of his strengths at all, he's gonna be better. I'm higher on Tua than most people. I'll go dolphins to win this game outright, actually.
3: Yeah, I mean that's a uh, that's t- that's tough to pull the trigger on uh, on billick but uh, you know, man, it, it's hard to bet against Bilicek, especially on you know the first first game. And you know, I know this is a conference game, right out the get, got out to get. And uh, you know, the Dolphins, I was high on the Dolphins last year, and they actually pulled through for me on a couple of times. But I'm gonna just, uh, I'm gonna uh, go the opposite with on this game. I'm gonna go with the Patriots against you on this one.
2: I don't hate that at all, and honestly, I like the Mac Jones fit. He's just—he's a rookie too. He's at least been there. He's got you know six, seven NFL starts under his belt. I just like to see Mac Jones do it in a game that counts. I'm a big believer, in it. I think long term, this whole Mac Jones, Bill Belichick thing is going to turn into a second chapter of the—not uh, obviously the level of the Tom Brady dynasty—but I think Belichick's going to have a couple of uh, very successful years with Mac Jones. I'm—I'm I'm all bought in with that. That kid's really accurate. If you look at his numbers. You know, everyone talks about Joe Burrow putting up the greatest college season ever. Go look at Mac Jones' numbers last year, like and and kind of compare the two. It will shock you at how even it was to Burrow the year before. I just I don't know about week one. I kind of like that Miami defense. I'm gonna go with Miami there, but I don't hate that pick at all. I'll probably come to regret that.
3: Yeah, it should be a really good game, a good one to
2: watch. Last afternoon game before we get to the Sunday night and the Monday night game is we have the New York football giants plus three at home against the Denver Broncos. I don't know what to make of this. The Giants have a lot better skill position, guys. You got Kenny Galladay. Hopefully you get healthy Evan Ingram, Saquon Barkley back healthy. I just don't really see it with old Danny Dimes. I understand he can run well. He does not hold onto the ball well, and he doesn't pass well, which seems to be pretty important to play quarterback in the NFL. I just don't really see it. But with all of that said, the Broncos have been very dysfunctional no matter who they've had at quarterback. And I like the Teddy Bridgewater addition, but – I'm going to go with the giants plus three at home. I just, these teams are not far off enough, at least to me on paper for me to take the Broncos as a road favorite is basically my logic. I don't even love this pick. I don't love the giants by any stretch, but I'm going to go with the giants here just because I don't trust Denver as a three point road uh, favorite.
3: Yeah. I'm going to have to agree with you. I mean, this is kind of like a little, a little mini travel rule game. So I'm going to stick to my travel rule and, uh, going to go with the Giants here
2: Sunday night game this is going to be an interesting one I think on some levels because I don't think the Chicago Bears are going to be any good if they start that they're they're hell-bent on starting Andy Dalton which if you watch any of the Bears in the preseason I don't really understand that but it's just kind of Matt Nagy being Matt Nagy and being very stubborn and You then on the other side, you have a team in the LA Rams that upgraded a quarterback. It was very clear towards the end that Sean McVay just grew incredibly frustrated with Jared Goff to the point where he was kind of openly throwing him under the bus, but doing it subtly towards the end of last year. I mean, hell I think Jared Goff put it to you this way, could have played that playoff game. I know he had the thumb issue in Seattle and I think Sean McVay was just like, no, I'm going to go win this game with that. What's that guy's name? John Wolford just to like show you how bad Goff is in in some ways. I know it wasn't that direct, but like, I, I'm honestly, I'm a full believer in this whole Stafford thing. I think the ideal Vic uh, Vay offense is chucking it 40 times a game. I just don't think he could do that with golf. I, I'll take the Rams here minus the seven and a half. It's it's the Rams minus seven and a half at home. Bears defense is good, but I don't think they can score a block anyone. And the Rams defense is certainly good. So uh, thoughts and prayers to Andy Dalton going up against Aaron Donald and the rest of that defensive line. I, I'm, I'll go with the Rams here and I'll lock it seven and a half. I know that's a lot, but whatever.
3: Yeah, I mean, I like the Rams too. I I think Matt Stafford is a sleepy good fantasy pick this year.
2: Um, I just uh, I have uh, him on all of my teams. I did the same thing. I'm glad you're on that page.
3: Yeah, I mean, I I think he's a um, uh, you know, I I think uh, the offense fits him well, and uh, they'll throw it around. I just uh, if the the, I mean, Andy Dalton doesn't give you the the chance to win games like uh, Fields does, so I don't know why they're starting Andy Dalton maybe because they want to uh, give fields a couple more weeks to figure it out. I don't know. I think your best chance as a bears fan to win a game is to have, you know, fields on the, on the, uh, in the game and starting with that being said, I, I like the Rams a lot here. And I think that, you know, that defense is just going to wreak havoc on uh, Dalton to where they, uh, you know, uh, where that you have to pull the trigger on fields uh, sooner than later. Uh, so oh, I think- I'm going to go with the Rams.
2: I think Nagy's just the classic NFL meathead. He probably doesn't like quarterbacks. He's very stubborn. He's proved that uh, as much in the past numerous times. I think it's just the classic of him trying to prove to everyone that he's smarter than them, and I just don't understand it. I guess the flip side of that, if you're Fields, would you really want to go have your NFL debut come against Aaron Donald and have your off- and knowing your offensive line can't block? I'd almost like fake some sort of sickness if they were going to start me.
3: Yeah, for sure. Especially whenever he um, announced that the NFL wasn't really that fast. And then the next play is helmet got smashed off. So
2: I saw uh, that. That's odd. That's that's that didn't age well.
3: Yeah, that didn't age very well at all. But yeah, with that being said, I mean, I think uh, the the Bears might be a smart move not to uh, start their number one quarterback or number one pick. Uh, and last year's draft in the first game against a, a very vaulted uh, Aaron Donald defense-led uh, Rams.
2: I saved two of my locks for this particular reason toward the end here because we did have a game that ended up coming towards the bottom of the card because the venue changed. But we'll go Monday night game first. The Las Vegas Raiders are plus four against at home against the Baltimore Ravens in that uh, stadium that looks like a Roomba. Um, the Raiders are always very good early in the year. John, I mean, if you look at John Gruden's record as a head coach after Thanksgiving, it's, it's something honestly kind of like mind-bogglingly atrocious, but they are good early in the year. I'm not a huge believer in the Baltimore Ravens. I think they will probably make a wild card. I think Cleveland wins the AFC North pretty easily, but I think the book is out a little bit on just Lamar Jackson in terms of just kind of corralling him to some degree. I like the Raiders a lot here. I actually think the Raiders will win this game. I'll lock the Raiders plus four, but I wouldn't be stocked that they won this game outright. This is too many points. They, you know, as we record this, there were two injuries today. I think the Raiders lost a, excuse me, the Ravens lost a running back in a corner on back-to-back plays, and they ended practice early. I, I'm just not getting great vibes from Baltimore this year. I love the Vegas Raiders here in this spot.
3: Yeah, I'm going to go with you on this lock for sure. I like the Vegas Raiders too. It's uh, Gus. Not Gus Johnson. Uh, I drafted him. It's not Gus Williams either. His, his first name's Gus. Uh, but yeah, he ended up. Uh, I got an alert that said that he got hurt in the. Gus you know, Edwards, uh, by the way, he was Gus one of the Edwards. guys that got hurt today. Gus Edwards, yeah. So and Marcus Peters Gus. too. Yeah. So I mean, you know, with that being said, uh, let's uh, let's lock up the uh, the Vegas Raiders here. I
2: like it a lot. That one almost looks too good to be true. Like I'm almost like talking myself out of it and worried about it. now, just looking at it, but whatever, we're holding firm. And then the last game was a late afternoon game on Sunday that I skipped over because the sheet I have up, put it at the bottom. I imagine that has something to do with the venue change the saints because unfortunately of hurricane Ida are hosting the green Bay Packers in Jacksonville. Um, which there's kind of some funny backstory to that. There's a little bit of strategy going on there, harder place to get to for Green Bay, hot, outdoors. I kind of found that the game within the game humorous, obviously serious serious situation, and it sucks. I hope the Saints get back to the Dome sooner than later because um, you can kind of see the morale boost that comes with the Saints being in New Orleans and you know some of the things they've dealt with with natural disasters over the last two decades. It's the Saints plus three and a half at home against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers in a season that, Part of me wants to think Aaron Rodgers is going to have, one, a farewell tour, and I mean farewell to the Packers. I don't think he's retiring. But I think it's clear that this is his last ride with the Packers. And combined with, like, a little, like, FU tour. But then if they start, like, 0 and 2 or, like, 2-3 and 3 or something, isn't there a world where he just throws in the towel and is like, to hell with this shit? I, I love the Saints here. I-, I think the Saints are going to win this game. I, I would take – I'll lock the Saints as my final lock at plus three and a half.
3: Well, it looks like we're uh, on these locks together on this, because I, I like the Saints a lot, too. I uh, just,
2: uh,
3: you know, it just it's kind of a weird situation in Green Bay, and you don't know what you're getting with Aaron Rodgers, and, uh, you know, not doubting his talent, because he's a, you know, wonderful quarterback, and uh, I would love to have him, you know, on my team if I, you know, was uh, was coaching, but with that being said, I think the Saints are going to be sneaky good with uh, Jameis and, you uh, You know, I've got they've got some question marks at wide receiver, but you know, never doubt the professional athlete. So I think Sean Payton will find a way, and they'll get it done.
2: That professional athlete line is dangerous. That usually means you're about to do something reckless. And us being on all these locks together is a dangerous game. But man, those last two are like honestly tasty. I mean, like putting the putting the the Vegas Raiders and the Saints in a teaser where you're going to get ten and eleven points apiece, and they're both at home ish. I know the Saints aren't literally at home, but. Who buddy. Like, that that seems yeah. too good to be true, like I mentioned.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, it's just um, its hard not to take these underdogs early in the, in the year like this.
2: Yeah, because particularly with the NFL, Vegas is absolutely still trying to figure it out. I think you were dead on with that. That's week one, dude. We're back. We made our picks. How did that feel? That felt great. Like, last yeah, year I was mean, fun. Don't get me wrong. But, like, we're going to have fans back. We're going to have the normal red zone where not have to worry about Tuesday night football and the rescheduling shit. That felt great. Yeah. I mean,
3: you know, like, uh, like watching the games last, uh, like college games, you know, seeing the, the, the old traditions that, you know, used to be, you know, the, uh, uh, the Wisconsin, the jump around, like I literally, I mean, I don't know. It was real tough for me to hold back the tears. I really got really excited, you know, sitting there watching, watching that. And then the, uh, sandstorm at South Carolina, you know, stuff like that, uh, just cool traditions are are back. And, uh, just cool to, uh, cool to see fans in the stands and uh, hopefully everything works out and uh, hopefully everybody stays safe out there.
2: Absolutely. Love to hear it. Before we get out of here. So we're through week one. The way this works is one, the first rule number one, if you're listening out there, fade both of us by at all costs, if at all possible. Two, I will be better about keeping up with the results this year. I think we had a little casino trip snafu where I lost my notebook and then we just restarted the season in October, but we're going to blame that on COVID. Even though that happened, that, that happening had nothing to do with COVID. I can just blame it on that the entire 2020 season. So I'll be, I'll be better about keeping up with the results. We'll keep up with this week by week and we will see how much we lose.
3: Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, fade us or, or, or go with us. It doesn't matter as long as you enjoy the game and, uh, Enjoy putting a a couple dollars on the game and and sit back and relax and uh, drink your favorite drink and uh, eat your favorite LB sausage or come and get a lane train or something like that. But always, uh, always enjoy uh, watching the sports.
2: If you are smart, you would definitely go to LB's and get a lane train of Keith Carter. If you are the dumbest person I've ever met, you will blindly follow us throughout the year. So that's quite the juxtaposition.
3: I mean, there's, I mean, you know, uh, we're, 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 we're hit and miss sometimes. I mean, you know, you can't go wrong with the Riffy Wright special and uh, get you a, a 16 ounce prime strip and a pack of sausage and uh, for 20 bucks. So, uh, you know, I would, I would, uh, I would subscribe uh, to that to get that deal for sure.
2: Oh, we're dead on with that. Just not necessarily with the picks. You know, I'm going to have one like nine in three week, and that's just going to carry me for the rest of the year. And in my mind, I will have profited, but not really at all.
3: Yeah, it was funny. I did the uh, the uh, the butcher versus the spin instructor, and the first week I went nine and one, and literally I'm sitting here picking the picks. I go, I'm probably about to go one and nine this week for sure. You know? Oh, yeah, it's, it's
2: a brutal
3: it's, song. Too good to be true. Too good to be true.
2: Well, my friend, I appreciate it. We're through one week. We got eight, 17 more of these things to go, plus some college football in the mix. It, uh, It's great to be back, and we'll uh, we'll catch up with you this time next week.
3: Thanks, Ruby, as always. Y'all have a good weekend.
2: And that was LB's Greg. If you made it to the end, I appreciate you tuning into this Friday show. Really excited to talk about Weldon, talk with Weldon on Sunday about another week of Ole Miss football and kind of getting more of a glimpse at this team after two games. Presumably probably see some more guys play on Saturday, so fired up about that as well. But appreciate you guys coming on the journey. Uh, Like and subscribe, rate and review the podcast, all that good stuff. And we will catch you guys on Sunday.
1: This is the story of the one.